sitting there and saying, well, I'm a DT instructor. I know everything and I'm getting into this course and I have all these officers that I'm training and you learn really quickly that you actually don't know shit. You know what, Adam? We're going to hit record. Adam, you're coming to us from Canada, the Tactical Breakdown podcast. Excellent background, but let's get your 30,000-foot overview of your background for the audience here down south. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, brother. It's an honor to be on your show. I mean, I've been listening to you for a little while now since I was turned on you, so I'm super happy to be here. And uh, for your listeners, I guess real quickly, I was an infantry officer with the Canadian Forces. I've specialized in training pretty much my whole adult life, um, usually more in the realm of defensive tactics and use of force. Work a lot with security companies and some law enforcement up here in Canada. And then earlier this year, we started the ILET Network, where we're running international law enforcement training events with officers and agencies from around the world. Uh, the last event we ran in July was the International Law Enforcement Training Summit. We had over 10,000 officers from 76 countries attend, which was a really cool, really successful event. We raised over $15,000 for officer mental health um, and gave it to a charity called Copline, which is fantastic. And um, essentially, that's what we're doing, man. We're just keeping the ball rolling, getting more training out there for officers, not just in Canada and the United States, but around the world. I like the idea of the international aspect of it. Um, you know, probably as an infantry officer, same thing with me. is like sometimes you train with different countries and you see things that are a little bit different. What was it like? You know, you have 70 or 60 something different countries coming together. What was your main takeaway from that as far as how they're setting up their training? I mean, I can't really be a main takeaway, but some of the takeaways. Yeah, well, the majority of the people that we had for that that vast amount of countries were attendees. So there were people coming in to, to get the content. But the the overwhelming, I guess, response, the overwhelming reason why people were there was because they're starving for quality training. Um, I think that's something that's standard yeah. across the board, um, especially in North America with the entire defund yes. police movement, which is heavier than it is in most, most other countries, including Commonwealth countries. It's, it's everyone's starving for quality training. And so they were just happy to be there. Well, you hit the nail on the head, the quality training. People want training and they want it as cheap as they can get and they want it good. And you and I were talking about this before. Training is adapting. You're finding a lot of virtual training. You're finding a lot of training here and there. But one thing we need to hammer on right out of the gate is vetting your trainers. Just because you came from a three-letter, four-letter agency, just because you went to a school doesn't mean you're a bona fide trainer. So let's talk about that, brother. I know my experience is probably a little bit different than yours, uh, a little bit different aspects here and there. But what are, what are you thinking, man? Well, I, I use personal examples because I think they're the most powerful. And so I like, and I also like to humiliate myself whenever I get the chance. So essentially the reason why I take this view of good quality trainers and, and trying to really push the best of the best and not just settle for anybody who seems to have an instructor certificate was because I was one of those guys. I, when I first started, when I first took my first defensive tactics instructor course, and I had years and years of martial arts background experience where I had competed at a very high level. And so I was doing defensive tactics training. And, uh, and now I'm basically sitting there 
and saying, well, I'm a DT instructor. I know everything and I'm getting into this course and I have all these officers that I'm training and you learn really quickly that you actually don't know shit, that there's experience, that there's knowledge that you don't have coming in brand new. Just because you took the course, you you finished the manual, you wrote the exam, and now you have the certificate that says I'm an instructor. It doesn't actually make you an instructor. And I think that's the most common misconception is that people think that, well, once I take my instructor course, I'm good to go. I hearken it back to traditional martial arts, right? We say, and it doesn't matter what martial arts you take, whether it's jujitsu, karate, taekwondo, anything. Once you get your black belt, that's the start of your journey. That's the start. And yes. I don't think we take that into consideration in law enforcement and military training because you get thrust mm -hmm. into this instructor position. Now you're part of the cadre, you're part of the team, um, you're set aside from everybody else and you're kind of meant to feel like, well, we're more important. Yeah. Um, and you know what? And then you're stuck with a, a training curriculum that you have to execute, not giving you enough time to go out and find other training and yeah. learning from experience. Oh, absolutely. And you're, that's that's got to be my biggest pet peeve is when people, I, I like to call it inbred training. So you have those instructors that learned from their instructor, that learned from their instructor, that learned from their mm -hmm. instructor but it was all down the exact same pipeline and yep. they had never taken any information from anywhere outside of that. And so and you, you and I were talking about that before, man, is like you you're getting hashed the same shit that's been out there for 30, 40 years. We have to adapt. The world has changed. Um, you know, they have small conflicts, big conflicts, things that are happening in a split second, things that are burning, like, you know, the riots and everything else, you know, it's coming. How do you prepare for it? So there's a lot that we need to adapt to. And the training environment, like you said, has changed, man. You have to learn from your students as well as other instructors. There's so much knowledge out there now, man. Yeah, you touched on two great points there. One is learning from other instructors and the other is learning from your students. Um, the learning from your students is something where the word humility has to come into play. And you have to understand that just because you're the instructor doesn't mean that you know everything. Um, I can I remember very vividly doing a, a ground combatives course and walking people through different positions. And I knew right next to me was an officer who was a student who was a jujitsu black belt. And I'm sitting there and essentially after every session, every time that we taught a new technique, I would literally look at him and be like, do you have anything you'd like to add? And the reason being was because even though he wasn't the instructor, he was more of a subject matter expert on it than I was. And so I think that has to come into play yeah. for everybody. You know, in my, my viewpoint of this as being an instructor, I've taught college for a long time. I've done this. I've done that. Is you have to yourself be a student of knowledge, be a student of education that you want to continuously learn. When you said, okay, I've got this certification, I'm good. Exactly what you said before, you're now on the start of where can you become better? Because when you become better, your students become better. And that bit of knowledge may save their life. And if you keep spewing out the same thing, you have to remember the bad guys are also out there learning and adapting to our instructing. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's... A <laughs> 
That's a whole rabbit hole that <laughs> it is, brother. It is, man. We we could go down, but you know, when we talk about instructor development, I don't think there's enough focus on instructor development. I think like for me, this is a conversation we have on our podcast all the time. And on almost every time that we do anything, it's why don't we train our instructors better? Why aren't why aren't learning methodologies and core competencies taught to instructors? Mm -hmm. Hey, this is how human beings actually learn and retain knowledge. These are yep. things that you should do. These are things that you shouldn't do. This is what happens when you expose someone to a stimulus for an extended period of time and how much they actually retain in, in a, and it, you show yes. like an inverted U graph where it shows peak performance and learning retention versus going overboard. And now you're basically just wasting your breath and wasting time because the student isn't, can't absorb any more information. And, and with, with firearms and with tactics and everything, your audience is going to be different age levels. You can have someone in their twenties, fifties, forties. It's different generations. Different generations have different learning um, techniques, different learning avenues, and you have to adapt. You can't drone for 45 minutes with a PowerPoint. A millennial or anybody in their twenties is going to be like, Oh, come on. You know, I've already learned seven things on my phone by the time you're done with one slide. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's science, there's companies that I work with right now, like Vertra that are setting the standard for training and it's because they've done the research. And so when they build out training, there's, there's, very specific periods of time for exposure. Say, say I'm talking with you right now and we're talking about a specific concept and I'm going to flash an image up on the slide or the screen for mm -hmm. you. There's a certain time frame in which that's useful and then it's not anymore. Yeah. Right. So maybe the exposure to that image is only 15 seconds, right? It's not, you don't put it up there and keep it up there for five minutes while I'm talking over the image because when we learn as human beings, we take more information in from watching another human being's face as they talk and as they speak, yeah. than we do just staring at an image and then trying, and then our brain's fighting to try to figure out what it wants to pay attention to. And so those little tiny things are really important. And I think we're starting to, to bridge that gap now in, in training develop, not just in law enforcement training, but first responders um, in a lot yeah. of military training and tactics that's being developed we're starting to see that in, ingrained more and more, which is which is a good thing. And you're not only doing cross generational; you're not doing cross organizational. And you know, one of the greatest courses I've been to was a it was a back in the 2010 2012 was like the DHS National Planners course for the Homeland Security. And we it was law enforcement and emergency responders and everybody that's going to respond to a natural or man made event that's a big disaster. Mm -hmm. And after being in law enforcement for over a decade at the time, probably 12, 13 years, and getting into a room, you start learning, you start adjusting to, you know what, that guy's not a gun toter, that girl's not a gun toter. They look at things differently, but then you could learn so much from them, but then there's so much they could learn from you. So getting this cross mold is, it's perfect. And you have to, that's one thing you have to adapt to saying, it's not us against them. It's not LEOs versus military versus emergency responders. You guys have to all learn certain curriculums together to tackle these big obstacles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the big thing that we do with all our events and everything that we run for training is getting people outside their bubble, right? It's here's information. You know, 
I'm going to show you this presentation and I know it's on your, like maybe you're, I'm talking to a detective and maybe that I'm showing them a session on interview and interrogation, something that they've heard for the last 20 years. They've been an investigator or detective for the last 20 years, but there's still a good chance that somewhere in that one hour session, there's going to be a little golden nugget of information where they're like, Oh, I never thought of it that way. Or that's a different context that I hadn't applied before. And there's always an added benefit there somewhere. And at the very least, it rehashes something that they already knew, right? Mm -hmm. it, it. So that's a ma massive benefit. Um, you know, we also talk about, for example, we're running this conference for ILFE here. So for firearms instructors. And hey, what is ILFE? I mean, we throw out a lot of, little, yeah, a lot acronym, of acronyms. Yeah, acronym yeah. heavy. Um, ILFE is the International Association of Law Enforcement Firearms Instructors. Okay, so cool. essentially, and it, it, it is truly international. So they have people from all over the globe. Um, I just, today I was speaking with one of their instructors. Uh, they're putting a presentation there out of Italy. Tomorrow I'm recording one out of South Africa. Um, and so it's, it's really, again, it's taking that global knowledge and sharing it because I'll tell you what, the way we do firearms training in North America is a lot different than the way they do it in other places around the world. And so taking those little bits and pieces of information and getting exposure to that can really help. Um, you know, you also brought up a good point there about bringing together law enforcement, military, emergency response, all these different types of things. I would also caution people though, too, because one of the biggest pitfalls I see when you have a firearms instructor go to a high speed course where you have operators that are either tier one guys or yep. they got out and they've started a new private company and they're consulting and they run them through all these high speed drills. And then they take all the high speed stuff and they bring it back to their agency and they try teaching yeah. that to the basic officer. And you're like, Whoa, Sparky, slow down, not applicable here. And I think that's some, that's another conversation that we could have. Yeah. That's a definite conversation because you know, the same thing happens here is we'll send guys out to DT and they'll go to some like fancy, uh, you know, they learn how to, choke someone out in three seconds and then you're trying to teach this guy who's guy or girl who's been in law enforcement 20 30 years in a two-hour block how to do something and it's not that easy you can't just you have to be able to adapt it and like you said before go to those great go to those courses do this do that take that grain of knowledge pick out things that you could use to teach the fundamentals because fundamentals and repetition is a lot of times what gets you to point A to point B. Mm -hmm. Learning oh. how to do, get rid of the old things. We talked about that before. It's like sometimes your training has to adjust to the times. You know, we're not using six-shot revolvers, but maybe you will encounter a six-shot revolver somewhere, but it's not a primary weapon system anymore. You have to adapt to the, to the times and to the training avenues that you have available. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's so crazy. The amount of knowledge that we have, especially coming out of the last, what is it? 21 years of mm -hmm. constant war yeah. fighting. We have experience now. We have, we have soldiers and, and police officers that have been deployed that have active experience that they're coming mm -hmm. back to that we never had before. And it's, there's almost too much of it. It's almost, there's almost too many good ideas. Um, the good idea fairy likes to yeah to exactly in too many places, but I mean again, the knowledge is fantastic. The problem is is that we don't know how to correctly take the knowledge 
and adapt it to what we need for training, right? Mm -hmm. Like you had said, you can't take somebody who has 20 years of experience doing something one certain way and then try to flip them in an afternoon to something new and high speed. It's just not going to happen. You have to understand how the human brain works that essentially you're going to have to untrain that skill that they've been doing for the last 20 years. And that's not something that's done easily or potentially at all. And Mm -hmm. so it's okay. Well, now I know if this officer does this in one certain way, because I've watched him through 20 iterations of this skill set, and he's obviously going to be doing this every single time as an instructor, how do I take what I know to adapt or tweak what he's currently doing, give him something new on top of what we know he's already going to do. And that is going to make him better or safer. Right. And that's going to be different for every student that you have. And I don't think enough people take that into account. It's that when I teach a class of 30 students, I'm not teaching one class. I'm teaching 30 individual classes for the most part. When we talk, when we're talking physical skills, yeah. obviously mm-hmm. there, it's in different contexts that is completely. But you have irrelevant. to, you have to, you can't, you're going to lose it. And if you lose one of your students, the other one's going to fade off. And that bit of knowledge that you need to get out to them. Cause when we're talking critical skills, we're not talking about, hey, we're doing a PowerPoint on some law that you're never going to use ever, but you have to get through it. It doesn't work that way. When it comes to stuff like this, it is potentially life-altering knowledge that they're getting. So, And you can't lose those students. You have to, as an instructor, as a, a course developer or anything else, you have to adjust your tactics of training. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's – I mean, this is something that I could talk about for – your podcast isn't long enough, brother. We could we could do this for we the next could be hour. here for days. And, and yeah, you know what? And, and that's part one of sixteen. So, what um, yeah. what what is exciting though? And this is something I want to bring up before I completely forget because I am very excited about this. I didn't think I was going to be able to pull it off. I mean, we still haven't pulled it off, but I'm comfortable enough now bringing it up. Let's hear, um, it, man. So, one of the things that came out of the ILET Summit that we ran in July was a a prevalence or a real want for information and training on counter sex trafficking. So a buddy of mine, Jeff Teeks, um, who's former Delta came on and did a two and a half hour presentation on counter sex trafficking, counter human trafficking for law enforcement. And he kind of brought in his special forces backgrounds. That was the context behind it. He works for an NGO now, but there was a lot of interest in that. And so from that, we ended up doing a three hour live Q and a, roundtable where we had multiple experts on and and kind of left it open to the public. People could ask questions about sex trafficking and you had the experts there to guide you through it. And so that also had a massive uh, outpouring of support and people wanting to get more information. So we are actually going to be announcing it hasn't happened yet. um, So I guess you get the, you get the, uh, the exclusive, um, in March, March 3rd and 4th, we're going to be running the International Summit on Counter Sex Trafficking. And so it's an international event. Um, so far, we have Interpol involved, the RCMP. Um, we have experts from the FBI, DEA, U.S. Marshals. We have AUSAs. We have undercover detectives um, throughout the United States. We have the Director of Intelligence for Mexico and the leader of their critical response team. We have uh, counter sex trafficking and human trafficking experts from the Caribbean through Trinidad and Tobago and Jamaica, and then experts out of Australia as well. And that's just that's just so far. So you must be reading. You must be reading my mind. My last few uh, video episodes have been on human trafficking. And 
you know, sex trafficking. And my next book is going to be on domestic as in United States trafficking. Cause a lot of my career was based on smuggling efforts and countering mm. smuggling efforts. But now, you know, my next focus is on trafficking, sex trafficking. I've put out about six or seven videos over the past few weeks on it. Did some live Q and A's. I definitely want to be there if it's available and yeah. I can cross well, it, the, cross here's, the lines. Here's the coolest part about this. And this is, this is going into something else that I want to talk about, which is this current state of online training, but we're making this obviously I, I, I listed a whole bunch of agencies and, and things mm-hmm. there. Um, and it was for a reason is because what we're putting out is going to be a hundred percent free for law enforcement. Oh, perfect. And so I guess I get into, I get into some trouble in, in our, <laughs> in the law enforcement <laughs> training space because we're putting training content out for free or next to nothing. Um, mm-hmm. People are trying to make a living out of it. And yeah. it's not to uh, my, my goal isn't to screw over everybody else who actually charges for training, right? That's not, that's not what we're doing here at all. What we're trying to do is understand the current state that law enforcement is in understanding that for the most part, especially in, in the United States, officers are having to pay out of pocket for training. Mm-hmm. A lot. Agencies. Yeah. agencies that do want to send people to training are having their budgets slashed ridiculously, right? There's all of these special units that are getting disbanded, right? So yep. when we talk counter sex trafficking, that's a proactive policing yes. skill. It isn't something where we get a call and say, so someone's sex, well, I mean, sometimes that happens, but usually it's something proactive and that doesn't pay the bills. That doesn't make media headlines. And so usually agencies will cut those departments first and prioritize other response-based departments. And And yeah, they don't realize it is so prevalent and that you need an international focus on it and lessons learned from these partner agencies out there. Yeah. Because a lot of, you know, just as well as I do is in Canada and and United States, it's domestic. It's happening. It's not just always cross-border. There's a lot of stuff going on in your backyard. Mm -hmm. But there's also a ton of lessons learned that you could learn from your international counterparts as far as movement of bodies and movement and how it is facilitated through internet and through apps and through this and through that. There's so much knowledge. There's there's so much knowledge. And that's, I think that's going to be the biggest difficulty on this is because I'm going to try to constrain it to two days and it's mm-hmm. probably going to get, it's probably going to get expanded from that. Um, the reason being is because the one day is going to be open to the public. So it's going mm-hmm. to be NGOs. We're going to be talking a lot about victim services, yep. those types of things. And then the other day, the second day and potentially a third day are going to be closed to law enforcement only where we can have open discussions about actual operational um, mm-hmm. information have, and then we can run live Q and A's where you have an officer who's maybe working a case can actually use the experts that are there and say, Hey, I'm having an issue here. Any thoughts, any ideas? Um, and that's stuff obviously that we can't just put out to the public. That's um, awesome, man. And so there's going to be those components to it, but also, like you said, drawing from that international experience, right? It's not just ports of entry that we need mm-hmm. to worry about human trafficking. And so I think a lot of people get wrapped up in, it's like, well, if there's trafficking, if they're smuggling, it's happening at a border. No. Well, no, like there's, you know what? I was talking to an FBI agent who's in the dead center of the United States and they're busier than ever. Yeah. Dealing with human trafficking and sex trafficking. 
And again, it's, it's about what other information can you get? So there's maybe something that officers are doing between the, the U S Mexico border mm -hmm. that would work between the borders of Europe and Africa or in Australia or wherever. And I don't think that that knowledge is being shared enough, right? Maybe yeah, you, you need, you need to have that nexus. Yeah. Yeah. Coming out of the Eastern European block, right. But talking about how do these sex traffickers actually behave? How do they control the girls? How do yeah. they utilize the bottoms? How do they do all these different things? That's different than say a, mm -hmm. uh, uh, a South American cartel, right? Okay, because they they act, there's some similarities, but there's a lot of differences. And so giving just that general information, but then also yeah. breaking it down enough so that a general patrol officer who's patrolling in the center of Nebraska, who makes a traffic stop on the highway, when he walks up to that car and he sees that there's the girl sitting in the back seat, there's no one in the passenger seat, yeah. she's looking down in a way, and he goes, hey, red flag, maybe there's something more I need to look into. Yeah. Those types of information that are useful to every officer, it doesn't matter where you are, and it doesn't matter where you are in the world, because there's a lot of commonalities there. And that's really what we're going to try to bring forward. You got me excited, brother. Anything I could do to help with that as well. Thanks, Adam, man. Yeah, absolutely. You got to come back on the show, man. Well, Is hey, that... I, I'm... I'm I'm free anytime. I listen, dude. I talk for a living, so this this shit's easy to me. You let me know when and where, I'll jump on a mic. Okay, the audience out there, we're gonna leave links. So you can find Adam, and uh, really, you have to follow this guy. They're doing really good things, and I like the aspect of getting free or limited cost training out to LEOs out there and out to the field because we need it. Mm -hmm. You know, we do. Adam, I appreciate you coming on the show today, brother. It's my honor, man. Thank you so much for having me. Mm -hmm.